It is a real privilege to be here. Um, we, like you, are in a, a new season with a new senior pastor. My hubby took over about the same time as Charles did, allowing Pastor Nick to be released to do what he's doing in his season. Um, we are still definitely part of the E4 network, which is under Pastor Nick as well. So um, he's invited me on that, onto that team. Um, thinking he needs a female voice. I love Pastor Nick. So you girls are privileged to have a female voice. So if you ever want to email me or message, inbox me and say, hey, can you say something about this? I am your voice. I'm not my voice, I'm your voice. The funny thing is Steve's on that team as well and he keeps like putting his hand on me to be quiet. And I'm like, no, Pastor Nick invited me here. He knows exactly what I'm allowed to say and what I'm not allowed to say. I'm accountable to him in that environment. It's fun. I want to get straight into Word this morning. Um, one of the things about, that you may not know about my husband, he's a boat person. He loves the sea and he loves boats. So we don't live anywhere near the sea. We live in Bendigo. We own three kayaks. We don't own four and there's four people in our home. That's because I'm not a boat person. Um, I've never been a boat person. So Steve grew up going to the seaside every summer and spending most of it out on the water fishing with his dad. So even now, if we go and visit his parents, they'll spend several days from four o'clock in the morning till really late at night out on the sea. And I'm like, I couldn't think of anything worse. I'm not a sea person. I'm not a boat person. I'm not a storm person. But I do come from a family of boat people. So my granddad was in the Navy. He was a boat person, he built yachts, he built canoes. My dad built a canoe when he was about 15 and he and his brother would row down the Brisbane River in their summer holidays. Even now, my dad's nearly 80 and he'll go sailing with his bro brother up near Brisbane. And I think I got scarred a little when I was about 15, I went and stayed with my grandpa. He had a um, holiday house at a place called Redcliffe in Queensland and he, he'd built a little canoe that he kept in the back shed. So he thought it'd be a good idea to take my sister and I and teach us how to be boat people. Now, if you know anything about my sister and I, she's older than me, but I am just as bossy as she is. So two bossy girls in a canoe out on choppy water was a really brilliant idea of his. So we're out heading past the jetty and my sister is telling me what to do. And I don't like being told what to do. So I thought the best idea in that moment as the wind was picking up and the sea was getting a bit rough was just to jump out and swim to the jetty, which is what I did. And my sister managed to get back to the beach and I got the bollocksing of my life from my grandpa. You see, I'm not a boat person, nor am I really, I don't really understand the whole captain thing. So I like to be the captain, even though I don't know what I'm doing. So when I, was, when I turned 40, which was a few years ago, I did this amazing thing where I did 40 things that I felt I should do as a 40-year-old. Fun things and not so fun things. So we went on a holiday with our family overseas. I went on dates with Steve. I did fun things, girly things, and I did crazy things. And I thought it'd be the most adventurous thing. I'm not adventurous. And I thought the most adventurous thing I could do was to take 40 girlfriends on my 40th, rowing down the Brisbane River. So we went to Stud Park. Anyone been to Stud Park? There's a beautiful cafe and you can hire boats and you can row down the... It's beautiful. Sunny day, beautiful smooth water. And I thought it'd be a great idea to take my friends and row down the river and then come back and have lunch. So that, that's what we did. There was about 40 of us. Um, I'm not a boat person. So who, who thought of this idea? I think I must have done it with my family once and thought, that was fun. Let's do that again. So I want to show you some photos because this was the funniest day of my life. So that look on my face is us getting nowhere. So if you notice, the girl who's with me is not a boat person either. 
She has no clue how to row a boat. This is a boat for four people. So there's two people on the other side. So I do have a camera person in front of me who's not rowing at all. There's only two oars. Um, and she's taking photos of my face, which I thought was unfair, but I find really funny now. So if you want to flick, this face is the face where I'm completely frustrated with Terry because really how hard can it be to row a boat? I can't row, but surely she can row. Um, the next one is me laughing hysterically because we're really the only little island in the whole of the river with a bush in it is the one that we hit and couldn't get out of. And I'm trying desperately to use my oar to push away instead of actually rowing. Uh, next one. Yep, that's the bush. We, the river is really, really wide, but we managed to find ourselves in the bushes. It probably took us about 20 minutes and all the other canoes disappeared down the river. It was just us. It was really lovely. It was four people, not 40. And that canoe we're about to hit and the lady in the canoe behind me climbs mountains and she got quite annoyed with me that I couldn't actually avoid her canoe and I smashed into it. That's enough of those photos. I think I wrote this sermon just so I could show you those photos because I find that really, really funny. You might not find it so funny. So as I'm sharing this message today, I'm sharing it with people who might not be boat people. But there's some people in this room who are boat people. And I'm not talking about boats and storms. I'm talking about life. In Mark chapter 4, we find Jesus. He's on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And there's such a large crowd that he jumps into a boat. Now, Jesus grew up maybe around the sea, but he was a carpenter. He was a carpenter's son. He would have been like a tradie, you know, like buff and he would have been used to building things but he was also a teacher but he's with his disciples and he decided to choose seven disciples the majority of his disciples are boat people but he has some in that mix who are not boat people so I like to think I'm one of them and I would have jumped in the boat with Jesus as a non-boat person but there's boat people in that boat so I want to want you to write yourself into this scenario wondering and questioning am I a boat person in this boat or am I a non-boat person so Mark chapter 4 we read once again Jesus went to teach the people on the shore of the lake Galilee and a massive crowd surrounded him and the, the crowd was so huge that he had to get into a boat and teach the people from there and then Jesus goes on and begins to teach in parables. And there's lots of parables in this whole chapter. It's a really long chapter. And we have the parable of seed and we have the parable of the sower and we have this parable. And then even Mark even explains what, why he used parables. Then we get jumped down to verse 35 where we get to the story for today. Later that day, after it grew dark, Jesus said to his disciples, let us cross over to the other side. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He arose, he rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Then he turned to his disciples and said, Why are you so afraid? Have you not learned to trust yet? But they were overwhelmed with fear and awe and said to one another, Who is this man who has such authority that even the wind and the waves obey him? The Bible has lots of stories about boats. 
and lots of stories about storms. And the interesting thing is we don't always know whether the storm is because of disobedience or obedience. So we can be going, facing into something. We've actually stepped out and jumped into the boat just as God has told us and we face a storm. Or we could be like Jonah and we jumped into a boat because we're disobeying and we're facing a storm. So any one of us in this room could be facing a storm and it could be because of our obedience or our disobedience. And I don't want to assume this morning that you're facing something, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your finances, whether it's with your kids, whether it's in your family. I don't know what you're facing right now, but I know at least one or two of you are facing some stuff right now. And for some of you, it might be because you're being disobedient. Now, this story doesn't tell me that. Because this story tells me that they're actually being obedient and facing a storm. But I tend to think, what am I doing wrong when I'm facing stuff? But sometimes, and I'm coming here to encourage you, maybe just maybe you're doing the right thing. Maybe you're doing what Jesus has asked you to do and you're facing some stuff. Don't just assume that you've done something wrong or that it's Jesus or God pushing up against you. Mark chapter 4, verse 35, 36 says, Later that day, after it grew dark, Jesus said to the disciples, most of which were fishermen, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. So they do what they're told. They get into the boat. And me, being a non-boat person, I'm very confident because in that boat with me are lots of boat people. These boat people know how to navigate these waters. They are familiar with these waters and they know how to navigate through the dark. And don't you love having people who know how to navigate through the dark and know how to deal with storms, know how to deal with the waters. They're familiar. I don't have to be. I can be completely a novice and still obey Jesus, especially if there's fishermen in the boat. So... They get in the boat and they're sailing through. It's in beautiful, clear skies, the breeze in their hair. Isn't that what walking with Jesus is like? It feels like we've stepped out to obey God. This call he said was, do what I say. And you say, yes. And then the wind begins to pick up. It's all good. We've got fishermen in the boat. And the storm begins to brew. It's all good. We've got fishermen in the boat. What do you want me to do? I'll help. All hands on deck. Let's go. And the one thing I notice about this storm, this particular storm, there's more to it than just a storm. What's on the other side? In chapter 5, because I've read a little bit further on, you haven't, I'll give you a little bit of insight. In chapter 5, because we know they get through this storm and they do get to the other side because that's what Jesus says he's going to, let's go to the other side. You can prom- I can promise you if Jesus said, let's go, you're going to reach the other side. No reason to jump out of the boat and swim to the jetty. Stay in the boat, get to the other side. When they get to the other side, there's a man on the other side called Legion. He has 1,000 demons and Jesus has an agenda for why he wants to cross over. Now we have privy to that information, but the disciples didn't. And how often do we want to know all the information? We want to know what's on the other side before we say, yeah, we're going to cross over. But this morning, I want to encourage you. It doesn't really matter what's on the other side. I can promise you someone's freedom is on the other side of you obeying Jesus. So on the other side is legion. 
So I tend to think that this storm has got nothing to do with the natural elements. I definitely believe it's opposition from the enemy. If there's 1,000 demons on the other side, don't you think the enemy does not want that man free? And so he begins to cause a problem and a trouble with the waters and with creation, forgetting that Jesus is not just a carpenter. He's not just a teacher. Jesus, who is this man in the boat with them? So on the other side of their obedience, on the other side of the resistance that they begin to feel, on the other side of this spiritual storm coming against them, Jesus has an agenda. And that's the same for you when it's a spiritual resistance, when the enemy's putting up opposition to you crossing over. Just remember there's something on the other side of you pushing through and getting to the other side and the enemy doesn't want you to cross over and he's gonna throw everything he can at you. And if you don't see it spiritually and you only see it in the natural, you're only gonna deal with it in the natural. And that's exactly what the disciples did. They began to row like good fishermen should and they began to do what they knew they needed to do and they began to be good fishermen. But somehow I don't think doing things in the natural is gonna be enough for you. I always want to have an expert fisherman in my boat. In my marriage, when the storms begin to brew, I want to have some expert fisherman in my boat. I want to go find the best marriage counsellor and I want to go find the expert person who has the best marriage. But I can promise you, when the spiritual opposition is coming, it's not going to be enough. When finances are going all crazy in my family life, I know what it's like to feel the opposition of the enemy. And in the natural, I should go and see a financial advisor. But it's not going to be enough when there's a spiritual force coming against you. You might be in business and you step out in a a venture that God has asked you to do. And I can promise you, if God has asked you to cross over, in your spiritual adventure, and you've jumped in that boat, I can promise you, all hell will break loose. And every form of opposition will come against you because the enemy does not want you to be successful. And if you try and deal with it in the natural, it's not gonna be enough. You can tick all the boxes and do all your forms and get all the business acumen you like, but the enemy doesn't care about any of that. He wants you to feel like you're gonna perish, you're gonna die, you're gonna go under, get out of this boat. But Jesus said, get in that boat. I love it. Suddenly, verse 37, 38. Suddenly as they were crossing the lake, as they were doing what Jesus told them to do, out of nowhere comes a storm. A ferocious tempest arose with violent winds and waves that were crashing into the boat until it was all but swamped. But Jesus was calmly sleeping in the stern, resting on a cushion. The contrast between the disciples and Jesus is huge. What sort of man can sleep through a storm on a boat when he's not a fisherman? I know, I ain't sleeping in a boat ever. But what sort of carpenter teacher, rabbi, can sleep in a boat in the middle of a storm that's threatening people's lives. There's something about this man that I want to learn from. 
This man, his name is Jesus. I want to understand how can he keep the peace in his heart so well when the environment around him is swirling and crazy and frenzied? What's stopping Jesus from having that sort of peace disturb his sleep? Because I can guarantee that me being a non-boat person would be allowing the environment and the storm to shatter my peace. And the fishermen who should know how to navigate this storm and they know the darkness and they're familiar with this sea, they too are in a frenzy because this storm is shaking their peace and robbing them of their peace and the environment is affecting their peace. But I want to be like Jesus. I want to know what it's like to navigate a storm, navigate the dark, get across without it affecting my peace. How does He do that? What is it about Jesus? What can I learn? What can I absorb from this man? When they cry out to Jesus, when they cry out to Jesus, there's a pause before that. So we read the story in like 30 seconds flat. But how long did it take from when they, the storm began to when they actually went and got Jesus and woke Him up? And I want you to stop for a minute and look at the faces, listen to the sounds over the top of the storm. What were the disciples saying to one another? So I can imagine the boat people telling the non-boat people what to do. And I can imagine the boat people initially doing what they're told, but then realising it's not enough. And then what do they do? What would they do to each other? I think they would turn on each other and get frustrated with each other. Because surely the fishermen should know what they're doing. Surely the captain should know what he's doing. And isn't that like us when we head into a storm, when we head into difficult waters? What's one of the first things we do when things aren't working? We turn on each other. We deflect and blame someone else in the boat. And I can guarantee when they went to get Jesus and the tone of how they woke Jesus was frustration and annoyance because they weren't looking for the Creator. They were looking for a carpenter, someone who was strong, someone who could be, he was meant to be all hands on deck. They needed a little bit more strength. They needed someone to supplement what they were already doing. Can I remind you this morning, Jesus isn't a supplement for what you're already doing. Can I remind you this morning that He's not a vitamin to add to the things that you've got because you feel depleted in your strength. I feel like this morning God's speaking to you saying, hey, Jesus isn't just someone who's a carpenter and a rabbi to give you some encouragement to keep doing what you're doing. He's not just an expert on the things that you're facing so that you can keep trying harder. Because the fishermen were trying and it wasn't working and they were petrified and they were scared so much they thought they were going to die. And then they told, went and got Jesus. Was it a fisherman who went and got Jesus or is it a non-boat person like me who was just fed up with fishermen telling them what to do and saying, hey, we need some help here. But they were looking for the wrong sort of help. And how often do we invite Jesus into our frenzy, asking Him to help us keep going in our frenzy? But Jesus never wanted to help you in your frenzy. How do I know that? Because He got frustrated with them when they cried out to Him to help them with their frenzy. When they woke Jesus... It wasn't the wind that woke him. 
The arguing of the disciples didn't wake him. Ever noticed when you're having like a conflict with someone, Jesus seems really absent and asleep because that doesn't wake him up. The water splashing over the boat didn't wake him. The cry of his disciples, he woke up. Jesus doesn't wake up to the natural noise. He wakes up when we cry out to him. He moves when he hears our voice. He moves when he hears your cry. Right now, whatever you're facing, stop trying harder and just cry out to him. It's a picture of a beautiful picture of prayer. You cry out, he answers. But he doesn't just answer the way you want him to. Oh, I wish he would. He knows better. He's not just a carpenter and a teacher. He doesn't even give them instructions on how to row better. He doesn't give them instructions on how to cross over in the dark. He does something else, something supernatural. So when we're looking for a natural answer, be expectant for a supernatural reply. This is a picture of prayer when we cry out to him for answers. Their response is exactly how I feel when Jesus seems to be sleeping through my storms. Their response is, teacher, don't you even care that we're all about to die? I find this comical. I know you don't, but I do. How quickly we jump to conclusions about who God is when he doesn't do what we want. I like to call it, it's a psychological term. It's called a confabulation. It's a fabrication that we jump to conclusions about that we believe to be is true. That's a complete lie. They cried out to the teacher, don't you care? If God cared, then why is Jesus sleeping? This sounds like me, I'm sorry. If God cared, then why am I going through this? Does that sound familiar? If God cared, then why is he going on for so long? If God cares, then why am I even facing a storm? Because the enemy doesn't want you to get there. If God told me to do this, then why am I facing such chaos and crisis? If God cares, then why would he allow me to be in this boat, in this storm at this time? When God's not applauding our efforts to deal with our storm, then he mustn't care. When my peace gets rattled, God mustn't care. At least he's asleep anyway. Just because he doesn't join us in our striving and just because he doesn't engage in our emotions, just because he doesn't let the storm disturb his peace, doesn't mean he doesn't care. I'm speaking truth into the lies you're believing this morning. We are like the disciples. We like to make up stories about who God is when we're facing difficult circumstances. Of course he cares. He cares that it took him so long to cry out to him. He cares that they don't realise who he really is yet. That he's not just a carpenter and he's not just a teacher. He cares that they're driven by fear and experience instead of faith. He cares that when we try and deal with spiritual storms in natural ways, 
He cares that we get intimidated by opposition and resistance and crisis. He cares that we shrink back, jump out or or say, no, I can't do it anymore. He cares that we think a storm is going to stop him from fulfilling his mission. He cares that we don't wake him up earlier. He cares that we don't feel his peace even though he's with us. Have you been questioning whether God cares? You've, you've believed a lie that God doesn't care because your kids haven't quite given you the peace you need and it's crazy at home and the finances aren't lining up like he promised they would and your husband's just not doing what you told him to do. Sorry, I'll turn that around. And your wife's just not doing what she told you to do. Oh, there's a bit of response right there. He cares that we equate a storm with God not caring. He cares that our peace is affected by our environment. Fully awake, he rebukes the storm, shouts to the sea, be peace, be still, hush, calm down. And all at once, the wind stopped howling and the water became perfectly calm. He rebukes the waves and the natural elements. He didn't rebuke the disciples. He rebuked what was coming against them. But then something shifts and he looks at them like, why did you wake me up to do that? And something powerful for me is the revelation that he expected the disciples to be able to control the waves and the storm and creation. What is that? That's before he died and rose from the dead and gave him his power of resurrection. Before he actually expected them to understand the power and the authority that they had over creation. That blows my mind. I don't get it. But I trust this, that if Jesus expected his disciples who really didn't know who he was to know who he is, then it's okay for me to not always get who Jesus is, even though I know who he is. I don't always understand the power that I, that I have with Jesus living inside of me and Jesus being with me. Then he turned to the disciples and said to them, why are you so afraid? I feel like Jesus wants to say to you today, Why are you still afraid? Why are you still afraid? Why are you still responding in fear? He expects us to respond in faith. I'm no expert boatsman and I'm no expert fisherman and neither am I an expert person in faith, but I wanna be. I wanna be able to respond to my environment in faith and not fear, but we habitually go for our default position, which is fear. Over and over and over and over and over in the Bible, it says, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, because we respond and deflect and blame out of fear. We cry out to Jesus in fear and not in faith. But I wanna be someone who responds to everything that comes against me in faith. And that's what Jesus taught them to do. I wonder if the keyboardists could come. How long are you gonna keep responding to everything that comes against you with fear?
Paul said to Timothy, he's a young pastor and he's surrounded by, I guess, more educated, expert people around him. And he's feeling intimidated by them. And Paul writes to him these words, stir up the gift that is in you. That gift of faith that is in you, stir it up. Don't shrink back. Don't step away. Don't push it off onto someone else. Stir up the gift that is in you with the laying on of hands. Because God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. So when I start to second guess what God has placed on my life, that does not come from God, it comes from the enemy. He wants me to shrink back. He wants me to get out of the boat. He wants me to strive harder and work harder. That marriage that God called you into that is difficult right now, it's meant to be difficult because there's somewhere to cross over to. And you need to push back against the enemy. Push back because the enemy wants this thing to be destroyed. But I choose to respond in faith and not fear. I choose not to deflect on my partner. I choose not to deflect on the people around me. I choose to wake Jesus up and cry out to Him and say, hey, and He says, you speak to the storm. You speak to the storm. You let those waves calm down. You allow the peace in you to control the environment around you. The very last thing I feel like at the beginning of this chapter, it talks about the other boats that were with Him. So this boat that Jesus was in was crossing over and there were other boats. And so when the storm came against them, it would have come against the other boats. And what you're facing is gonna impact on other boats. So as a church, you're gonna face opposition in this area. And there's other churches and other places that are gonna be affected by the storms you face. But when you respond in faith and deal with the storm you're facing, it is gonna change the environment for the other churches and the other places in this area. I have no doubt that when you learn to respond in faith as a church, you're able to affect the environment. Watch the statistics come down in this area when this church responds in faith and not from fear. I love that Box Hill is joining as a campus and whatever happens with this church will have a flow on effect on Box Hill. The culture of faith in this house has to have an effect on that church and help it grow. Because there's people on the other side of these waters that need to be set free. And Legion, Legion became a revivalist. He wanted to follow Jesus and go with Jesus and Jesus said, no, you stay here. There are towns and villages on this side of the water that need your freedom. So as you respond to the storms in your life, the flow on effect is not just the boats in the water, but the men and women and children on the other side of the water. And the agenda that Jesus has is that you push through the storms and the spiritual opposition and the stuff that the enemy is gonna throw at you. And yes, he'll throw at you. Yes, he'll throw it at you. I wanna close with this. I don't wanna assume today that you're walking in obedience. I don't wanna assume the boat you're in is because Jesus told you to get in it. And you can be sitting in church and your heart is far away from God. And you don't want to do what God is asking of you. You do not wanna surrender to Him. 
and you running as far away as possible. You can be sitting in church and have your heart far from Him. And I feel like God is speaking to you today and He's giving you a word saying, surrender. This storm ain't gonna ease up until you give up. But when you give up, there's a Nineveh, there's a town, there's a village, there's a person who needs what you have in you. And you can agree with God and surrender and still be resistant. So you can be sitting in this room today saying, hey, I'm going through through stuff because I'm being obedient and I'm going through stuff because I'm being disobedient. Jesus is speaking. You might be right in the place where the sun is shining and the breeze is blowing through your hair and you're like, nah, I've got this, it's great. Storms are coming. I can promise you because Jesus said, in this world you'll have trouble, but I have overcome the world. So you either embrace the reality that trouble's coming your way, but it's not gonna rob you of peace. Or you choose to jump out of that boat and go find another boat to sit in and there'll be a storm in that one. Sorry. Because his word says so. I'm going to hand over to Greg. He's got something he needs to do today, but I do want to pray for you. I want to be able to speak the words that Jesus spoke and say, peace, be still. And you might, I don't care if I pray for one person today. I want to see God do something miraculous where the waves and the wind die down instantly. You might be walking through a place where the anxiety is extreme. And I want to speak to that storm. You might be going through stuff in your health and all hell is breaking loose and it's spiritual. And you've been to every expert fisherman that you know. And Jesus wants to speak right into it and say, you're crossing over. So why don't you come, Greg, I'm gonna hand over to you. But if you need prayer after he's finished, he's gonna close the service and I'll be here at the front to pray for you. Thank you, Greg.